Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Are you glad to be a child of God? Does it excite you? Do you wake up in the morning and think about the truth that you are a child of the King, born into the inheritance of Christ, set apart for His glory and His love? There's not a thing you can do with this life that's going to make God love you more. He loves you more than can be quantified by the brains and the intellect of the combination of every every human being. What a great God we serve. Today we will finish up chapter 4 of Galatians. And our text for today will be Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And more than one respected theologian has called this the most or one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. I think that one of the reason it's one of the most difficult passages, or are believed to be that, is because the preacher or teacher must walk his audience through quite a bit of background in order to even understand Paul's illustration, in order for that illustration to make sense. But this illustration is put in the letter by Paul for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Galatian Gentiles had been brought into false doctrine by Judaizers who had a a familiarity with Old Testament law. They were using their familiarity and their credentials as Jews to deceive the people, to walk in and say, we have authority and therefore listen to us. We are, we were there. We know them. We know the, the original apostles. We, some of us even knew Jesus. And so therefore we have credibility. So you will listen to us and we will take authority. And in order for the Gentiles to really embrace all that the Jews were teaching, they had to know a little bit about Old Testament truth. They had to know about the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant. And so they had been brought along both by Paul and by the Judaizers into the history of the covenants. So this is why Paul uses the illustration that he uses or They call it an allegory, but in its truest sense, it's not what we think of as an allegory. It's historical. But that's why he uses it. And for the today's audience, it can be a little bit hard to understand. And I think the reason it's difficult today is because most Christians today have a casual acquaintance with Scripture and even less with the Old Testament. Most of us and most of... Christianity today, what they know about in the scripture, they have very little context for because of years of topical preaching. And topical preaching will not secure you in context. It will simply address the topic. 
And topical Bible study is kind of the same. So when, when somebody goes back and references the Old Testament or a particular uh, group of people or lifestyle that is talked about it briefly in a, in a passage, they don't have any context to go back and say, oh yeah, that was when this or that was when that. I know what happened here and what happened there. Now, many of us grew up in homes where the scripture was taught, but most homes today have abdicated all teaching of scripture to the church, or perhaps to the youth group, or an ancient device that was once called Sunday school until it achieved the polish of 21st century marketing and has been branded with all number of any number of aliases. I've heard it called enlightened, I've heard it called all kinds of things, but in reality, it's still Sunday school. And today, not many parents are diligent to teach their children the scripture because they rarely study it themselves. Most children are not taught the value of knowing God's word or, for that matter, the importance of the assembly of worship. When they are taken to church, they're shipped off to a children's or young people's version of church, which has more to do with entertainment than truth. So it's little wonder that many of the most popular churches adults like to attend today are about studio quality sound and topical soundbite sermonettes. So that's my rant. Okay, the text we will look at today will assume that the reader has some knowledge of the life of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. It will assume that you have some knowledge of the events surrounding the lives of Abraham, Sarah, her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and the maid's son, Ishmael, and Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. And Paul is finishing his argument on the justification by faith. And he is using Jewish history to illustrate his point. And as I mentioned before, his enemies, the Judaizers, had taken great pride in their Jewish heritage. It was their bona fides or their authority for their teaching. So... Paul, in effect, is unraveling this before the Galatians. Now, most of the Galatians were Gentiles, so they had very little knowledge of Jewish history. So you can see how easy it would have been for these Judaizers to manipulate their understanding. Because they come in and they say, hey, we're from the Jerusalem church. We've been out there. We've been among the people. We were there when Jesus was there. We know most of the original apostles. We've talked to everybody. So you need to understand this about the gospel. You need to understand this about salvation. And then they incorporated the law and circumcision. And what they were teaching was a distortion, a lie. But the Gentiles would not argue the point with these fellows because they didn't have the knowledge. They weren't over there. They didn't live amongst them. They didn't understand all of the information that was being thrown at them or the history of it. So these Judaizers were boasting about being from the Jerusalem church, the supposed birthplace of Christianity, and they boasted, as I said, in the acquaintance of the apostles. But rather than weighing that their teaching, the Judaizers' teachings against the truth that they possessed within them and the truth that they knew of, they accepted the distortion of these false teachers based on those teachers' credentials. That's a lesson to us. We can be led down the merry path of distortion without even being completely aware of it if we're unwilling to put all that we hear as theology or as truth 
Before the, the throne, before the truth that is within us, we're not willing to research it out ourselves. We're not willing to search the scriptures like the Berean method and understand what's actually being said. There's all kinds of distortion out there. There are all kinds of lies that are being put out to the people of God. And here's the thing, it's only going to increase. Now that's one of the reasons I had the rant at the beginning. It's because we can't live off pre-digested scripture and truth. We need to be able to go and allow the Spirit of God to teach us one-on-one through His Word. And we need to set our children down and show them the value of knowing the scripture, of knowing the truth. Now, I know that it is the the truth within us that makes the Scripture relevant to us. But listen, my mom and dad made me start brushing my teeth long before I understood the benefit of it. And that's part of what we need to be doing as parents and as grandparents. We need to be reinforcing the things of God in their life and giving them value by our own attendance to them. If we're not, they will be completely caught up in this mad rush to give a bow towards religious activity, give a thought towards religious thinking, to capsulize their relationship with the Lord in emotional terms, and walk away without any substance whatsoever. And they're going to get washed away in that. Well, this isn't going to change. And this is what happened to the Galatians. So, in order to give us a running start of the verses we're going to talk about tonight, I want to look at again at Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 19 and 20. And Paul writes to them, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the pains of labor until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you, How I wish I were with you now and could change my tone because I am perplexed in regard to you. Now, Paul is being tender with them here. And he, because as you will recall in the previous scripture, uh, in the previous part of the letter, he is very severe with them. He is saying, What are you thinking? Why are you even going down this road? Have you forgotten all that you've learned? Have you forgotten your own experience and truth? But here he says, my little children. They were behaving like immature children. That's why he uses the term. He's not being condescending. He is being gentle. But they are behaving like a child who would take what they are given without question. Who would would put the wrong thing in their mouths. Who would assume behavior that was not appropriate. It reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He says to them, Until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually to become a mature believer, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting in His, in his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity, so that we are no longer... Children, spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit. There is, maturity is required 
It is something that we need to determine to enter into. It is not something that just comes upon us like age. Maturity requires a commitment of faith, a determination of faith. And what Paul is basically saying in that verse, he says, if you do not seek to walk in truth, if you do not seek to grow and mature in truth, then you're going to get tossed about. You're going to latch on to stuff that sounds completely correct to you, and it's not. If you are not pursuing the truth, regardless of how you feel at the moment, regardless of how your flesh is feeling in the moment, pursuing the truth because it's true of who you are, if you're not making that kind of commitment now, you will be tossed about. Your vision of truth will be distorted. I, I know... I don't have television, okay? But my wife and I occasionally will go somewhere where they do have television. I am amazed what people pass off as normal. Act like there's nothing wrong. What they actually call wisdom. What they distort as truth. And people buy into it. Christians buy into it. Why do they buy into it? Because they don't have a grasp of the truth. They are, they are estranged from the life within them. And the only life that they have any kind of intimate acquaintance with is the life that is external and is totally distorted. So they're surprised. Mom and dad are surprised when, when the kid runs off and, and enters into all kinds of rebellion and chooses the world over the church. They're shocked over that. Well, why should they be? You haven't demonstrated for them the value and the truth of knowing Him. They don't see it in your life. They've got to come into that and understand that on their own. So yeah, they got to go to the school. Let me tell you something. That discipline is what mom and dads give at home. Punishment is how the world teaches. That's the difference between the two. Now, I didn't intend for this to be about parenting, but it just kind of works that way, okay? Now, Paul writes that he suffers and grieves over their childish behavior. He writes that my suffering is continuing until Christ is formed in you. And in the original language, this could actually be interpreted as until Christ is recognizable in your life. You know, when we will follow the, the, the growth of a baby in the womb, in the beginning, it, you can tell it's human, but you just... There's no features that are really recognizable. As it matures, it becomes more recognizable. And then certainly after birth, it's completely recognizable. This is the illustration that Paul is using. He wants to see Christ's life formed perfectly and completely in the life of these believers. So he says... I am in pain until this happens. And he expresses his grief and desire to be with them there so that they could see the, his sincere love for them. And I believe that Paul is really bouncing off verse 19. He says he longs for them so that they could see his sincerity. I believe what he is saying in effect is I long for you to see Jesus in me. I long for you to see the... The presence of his life in me. 
You know, I tell people this in counseling, particularly in marriage, where, where one is in and the other is out. You know what I mean by that. And they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, my spouse is involved in this and they're involved in that and they're, they're, they're living in a godless way. And I said, you know what, if you could show them anything, what would you show them? Well, I'd show them the right way. I said, what good would that do? You know what they need? They need an encounter with Jesus. Oh, amen. They really do need an encounter with Jesus. I said, how do you suppose they're going to get that? How do you, how do you suppose they're going to see that? Well, I don't know. I'll tell you how. It won't be dragging them to church. It'll be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Seeing Jesus formed in you. And that's what Paul's talking about there. You can't change people. If you haven't lived long enough to figure that out, don't get married, please. You can't change people. You can't even change yourself. Think back, you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. You can't change yourself. You can live and demonstrate the truth before people, but you can't change people. They have to receive it from the Spirit of God. Like Paul, we trust God to do all that His perfect love will allow in the lives of the people we love, don't we? That's the way we have to live. Otherwise, we spend all our time wringing in our hands, telling God what He needs to do, Right? Well, Lord, you know, you need to show them. Lord, I just hope that, that, that uh, you, can, you can prove to them how wrong they are. Now, that's a voice of wisdom, isn't it? Paul is grieving, but he is drawing a sharp con- contrast between himself and the false teachers. Now, let's look at our text for today. Verse 21. Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, do you not listen to what the law really says? In other words, do you really understand what you're buying into? Paul is asking them, do you want to be under the law? That's in present tense. That verse right there is in present tense. So what it, the question is, do you want to continue to be under the law? Because they had placed themselves under the law. You've made, it, made this your choice. Adults make choices, right? But that doesn't mean that their choices will always be mature. In fact, I find just the opposite a good bit of the time. To seek to quantify quantify your relationship with God by your behavior or your adherence to religious principles is an immature decision. It is to cast aside the truth within to demonstrate the truth on your terms. You hear that? It is to cast aside the truth within to demonstrate the truth on your terms. It's important to understand that, particularly where we're going. Paul asked them, do you listen to the law you're embracing? The Greek word there for listening is akuo, and it means to hear and fully comprehend and understand what is being said. Do you think they did? Do you think they fully understood and comprehended everything that was being taught to them there? If they did, I think they would be asking questions, but they didn't. Paul is asking them, do you have a clue what you're chaining yourself to? Now, by law, Paul is actually referencing the Mosaic Law or the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. And he says, do you really have an understanding of the law? Now, Paul will walk them through the covenants, and he starts with the story or the tale of two sons. You English majors will recognize the reference. Paul is going to contrast the birth of two sons in order to illustrate his point. The letter to the Galatians is actually full of contrast. We've seen that. 
the Abrahamic covenant versus the Mosaic covenant, law versus grace, faith versus works, being a slave versus being a son. So Paul begins with the tale of two sons. You will notice that they both have the same father. So the real difference in their physical birth is their mother's. Now let's look at verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, Hagar, and one by the free woman, Sarah. But the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, while the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Who fulfills the promise? God does. So the birth of the promised seed was different than the natural birth. It was not a natural birth. It was a natural birth physically, but it was not a natural birth. It was a supernatural birth. So there is the son of the slave woman, or bonds woman, depending on your translation, and the son of the free woman, who is Abraham's wife, Sarah. And it's important for you to understand this. This is very important. Slaves only give birth to slaves. Slaves only give birth to slaves. Okay? So, the true wife would produce the true son, an heir. God would only recognize the son of the true wife. Now, you see this in, for one example, Genesis 22.2, where God tells Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. And that is a Hebrew word that means only one, solitary one, only begotten one. You see the difference? So, now to give you a little background on the birth of the two sons, first of all, I want to tell you uh, that the name Abram, which was Abraham's name before God changed it, the name Abram means exalted father. And in the society that Abraham was part of, uh, children were a statement of the strength of the name, of the tribe, of the family. And the man who had many of them was, quite, was admired. Abram, however, unknowingly married a barren woman. So you can see that this could be a little embarrassing to someone named Abram who had no children, okay? Abram was 75 when God appeared to him and gave him the promises. And God promises Abram that he will have an heir and as many descendants as the stars, basically. You remember that passage? And when Abraham was 85, and he made the promise at 75, then Abraham, he's 85 with no children on the horizon, and Sarah, whose real name is Sari, says at the time, hey, I've got an idea. She was becoming impatient. They'd sat there for the 10 years and there was no, no child to be shown or to be had. So Sarah says to, to uh, Abraham, why don't you take my maidservant, the Egyptian Hagar, and have a child through her? I mean, after all, maybe God's just waiting for us to do something. Maybe he's just waiting for us to, to you know, get off our blessed assurance and get on here. Maybe, maybe this is his way of telling us that, that this is our responsibility, that God helps those who help themselves, right? So, guess what? Abram 
has a child through Hagar. And once he uh, has a child through Hagar, it becomes pretty obvious that the problem was not Abram, the problem was Sari. Hagar became pregnant, and it became evident that Sarah had been barren all along. And Hagar began to despise Sarah, and Sarah became jealous of Hagar. So Sarah began to abuse and harshly treat Hagar. So Hagar, guess what? She hits the road, runs off to the wilderness. But an angel of the Lord comes to her and blesses her and basically sends her back. Now, at age 86, Abram was presented with a son through Hagar, and Ishmael was raised as a son, and guess what? Sarah was still barren. At age 99, God comes to Abram again, and he says to Abram, Ishmael is not the promised seed. The seed will be through Isaac. So Sarah is going to have a child. And Paul writes about this in Romans, that 13 years had passed since the birth of Ishmael. And Paul writes about the deadness of Sarah's womb in Romans 4. And Abraham believed God. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.